Welcome to High Performance Equestrian, science to enhance rider performance. Today's episode is about strength. Well, it's about muscles, really. I'm going to focus on muscular strength, but also touch on muscular endurance. What is muscular strength? It's the ability of the muscle to exert maximal force during an activity. And strength can have lots of benefits, including improved sporting performance, increased ability in activities of daily life, and of course, injury prevention. You can improve strength through resistance training methods, such as lifting weights or lifting your body weight or even stable chores. What is muscular endurance? Well, that is the ability of the muscle to perform repeated contractions over time. So it's not the maximal force. There's also great benefits in sporting performance and activities of daily life and injury prevention with muscular endurance. And riding in particular uses muscular endurance in particular muscle groups. And there is a relationship with cardiovascular endurance or fitness as well. So why am I so interested in muscles and muscular strength? Some of the fantastic benefits of having strength are that muscle is a very physiologically active tissue. So if you build muscle, you are burning energy, you're storing energy. It is literally where energy is stored so you can feel more energetic. Having strong muscles and bones absolutely keeps you young. I mentioned that at the end of my last episode that the secret to staying young is to stay strong. After about the age of mid-20s, most people will naturally start to decline in muscle and bone density. So that is when you reach your peak. So we do want our young people to be active and build the biggest, strongest bones and muscles they can by that point. And then it's definitely a case of use it or lose it. It's not that you can't increase particularly muscle volume and density after that point, but it is certainly important to increase it up to that point. And I mentioned that muscle is an active tissue. That means that if you're carrying muscle around, it's working all the time. It's not an inert tissue. Lots of fat storage on the body is pretty much carried around like a spare energy reserve. It is not a very active tissue. And when we think about riding horses, we do want to be active in the saddle. We don't want to be plonked on top of the horse like a backpack that the horse has to carry. We want to engage our whole body into balancing ourselves and actively following the movement, giving aids, working with the horse, not creating a burden for the horse. So if we have active muscles that we can engage and use while riding, that only benefits the athletic partnership. Sometimes I get comments, particularly from females, about not wanting to build too much muscle. Muscle is a heavier body tissue than fat, for example. If you start doing strength training or weight training, you might notice the weight on the scale goes up, but that's not actually the most important thing. Measurements can go down because muscle is a more compact, dense tissue. But the really important thing to note is that For females in particular, it is incredibly difficult to become this big, 
muscular bodybuilding type that some people are wary of, particularly if they're riders and they don't want to feel like this big, muscular, heavy person in the saddle. It's really not the case. It is hard enough for adult males to build a huge amount of muscle, let alone females who don't have the hormone profile to support that. So it's really nothing to worry about, particularly if you follow some principles of progressive training and also perhaps get a program that is specifically written for you from a qualified trainer. So how do we build muscular strength and or endurance? Exercise provides the stimulation. We stress the body in some way and the human body, just like the equine body, responds to that exercise stimulation by becoming stronger or have more endurance for the type of activity that we're asking it to perform. There are different types of muscular training that we can do. And usually in a beginner situation, it will start with muscular endurance. So working the muscles through an effective range of motion. A muscular endurance program features a large number of repetitions and sets. So that means you are just repeating the movements consecutively many times to increase the endurance of the muscles for that activity. Once muscles have this base level of conditioning, general conditioning, you can move on to more specific goals. You can look at strength or hypertrophy, which sometimes come together. Hypertrophy is just building size, but there are slightly different ways to train muscles to respond in either way. And then beyond that, as it gets more advanced, you can train for power, which is strength plus speed. And that's a very advanced way to train. You might have heard about plyometrics which are explosive moves show jumping horses engage in a lot of plyometrics many athletes also do as well but whatever you do don't be scared of building muscle don't be worried about doing strength training whether you do it with body weight or with weights in the gym or with lifting everyday items you are not going to get really bulky unless you work really really hard but you may get smaller, tighter, more dense, more energetic. And those all sound like pretty good things for equestrian athletes, don't they? And remember when I said that muscle is a physiologically active tissue, that means it is also calorically expensive. We have to feed muscle. If someone is just sitting around and they have more muscle than the average person, their body is burning fuel, sustaining that muscle. So it does increase your metabolic rate. In a later episode, I'm going to discuss some really important types of strengths and body parts that riders should be particularly aware of. But in this one, I want to talk about the principles of training that apply to muscular strength and conditioning. And when I say principles, these are based on fact, on evidence of how muscles and training work. There is a lot of myth and misinformation in this area. So I wanted to present some key concepts to keep in mind when you start to think about strength or endurance training for yourself. Some of these principles obviously translate to other types of fitness training as well, such as cardiovascular fitness or flexibility. Now, the first one is specificity. And that basically describes that training a certain body part will induce adaptations specific to that body part. 
It's a pretty straightforward principle. If you do shoulder exercises, the adaptation will happen in your shoulders. It's not going to make any effect to your leg muscles. If you train an energy system like your cardiovascular one to be fitter, that's what will happen. Your heart and lungs and blood vessels will be more efficient, but it might not make any changes in your shoulder muscles. Specificity then tells us that we should think about what we want the outcome, the end goals of our training to be, and then design our training accordingly. Layered on top of specificity is some individuality, which a good fitness trainer will always consider. And that just means consider the person in front of you. Because although we can go on and on about how muscle tissue should respond to a certain type of training, there are other factors to take into consideration when you talk about an actual specific person. And this could be their training history. Have they trained this way before? That will definitely affect their success or lack of success in a particular type of training. Genetics that can come into it, particularly with regards to things like muscle fiber type. We have different types of fibers that can be better at power type work or better at endurance type work. And that is genetically dictated. We always like to keep in mind particular traits about the person standing in front of us. The next principle of training is called a training threshold. It means this is the minimum level of work, so intensity or volume or duration or weight that a person has to undergo to elicit that training effect. For example, if I'm a naturally fairly strong person because I'm farm strong, I lift bales of hay and feed bags, and then I go into the gym and the trainer wants me to work with little two kilogram dumbbells, I'm probably not going to get a really good training effect. So I'm not going to stress my body. I'm not going to get physiological adaptations or gains from doing that. So that's all training threshold thinks about is what's the minimum level we need to push the body to actually get the body to become fitter, stronger, faster. Then after we work out what that training threshold is, we have a starting place, but then we need to do what we call progressive overload, which means to avoid plateauing, we need to continually up the ante and make the training progressively harder and harder. This can be done in a variety of ways. You don't have to just keep lifting weights until they're the heaviest weights in the universe. There are ways to cross train, to change exercises, to isolate muscle groups as opposed to using compound or larger muscle groups or multiple joints together. And trainers will often have some sort of guideline or, or formula that may be appropriate to apply to a client's training progression. And it might be something like they've prescribed a certain number of repetitions or lifts and a certain number of sets. So that might be I'm doing six bicep curls and I'm doing four sets of those and my weight is two kilograms. So then the trainer might say to me, well, when you can do two more repetitions than I've prescribed on the last two sets of that exercise for two consecutive workouts. So I did it on Monday, then I did it again on Thursday and I could do two more repetitions. Then it's time to make that exercise more difficult. And we have this series of progressive overloads, not just to make sure that we continually improve human performance, but also to make sure that we don't injure people because that's obviously going to set someone back even more. So just upping the weights because you want to, because you're trying to set a record, because you're 
bench press sounds better when you tell someone what you did are not good reasons to put up the weight when you're weight training. And speaking of injury prevention brings me to the next principle of training, and that is recovery. What we do know about the human body is that it gets better during rest time. So recovery is incredibly important because that's where we not only recover from the exercise, remove waste products from the tissues, repair any micro tears that we've actually done to the muscle, but that's when we also get stronger and fitter. You don't get stronger in your weight training session in the gym. What you do is you stress your body. Your body says, oh, that was hard. While it's resting, that's when it starts to go, all right, I better just get a bit stronger in case she does that to me again. There are a few other principles of training. I've mentioned periodization before. I did a whole podcast app on that. So the last two points I'd like to mention are about overtraining and reversibility. So overtraining usually occurs when someone has progressed too quickly and or they haven't been given the appropriate amount of recovery time to gain those physiological adaptations. And what really happens is they start to perform at lower and lower levels in training sessions because they haven't had time to make the gains from the stimulation from the session before. And then I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that muscle is a use it or lose it item. And that is where we think about reversibility. If you stop training, if you stop physical activity, yes, your muscles do lose their fitness, their strength, their endurance. This is something to do for life. The human body was built for movement. There are lots of myths around there to do with when you stop training, muscle all turns to fat. Well, that's not physiologically possible so it's not accurate muscle doesn't turn to fat the muscle may atrophy which means the muscle will get smaller because you're not stimulating it to keep it or to grow it's not really needed anymore but then fat tissue will be put on instead because particularly if you're still eating the same the muscle isn't consuming that energy so it will be stored in fat tissue but they're two separate tissues the muscle is not going to turn into fat But the point is, if you stop training, it's not like this happens immediately. If someone is an athlete, if they take a few weeks off, two to three weeks, they're not going to have too many decreases in most of their fitness training. Now, that's very individual. Some people might see differences after 10 days. For some people, it might be three to four weeks until they start to feel like they're weaker or not as fit. And that's only by trial and error to find out. But some athletes will actually come back stronger after a two-week break because their body has really been able to rest and gather up all their strength. Remember, these principles of training, I'm going to guess that a lot of you are already implementing in training your horses, whether you think about it or not. You are progressively overloading their cardiovascular system, their muscular system, so that they become fitter and stronger. In dressage, for example, just look at the difference between the lower level horses and a horse up in Grand Prix. The level of musculature and strength is absolutely astounding. And what the horses can do at that top end with that muscle is incredible. And it's just testament to so many hours of strength training. And over time, that strength training has been specific to the moves the horse needs to learn. It has been individualized to that horse in front of you, his particular needs and preferences. It has been done in a progressive overload fashion. 
the horse has been allowed to recover and has been given nutrition to help in that recovery and muscle gain. Again, this episode, like a lot of mine, come back to don't forget about the rider in the six-legged athlete team. We're training our horses in a certain way and we are not only on that six-legged athletic team but we are the captain or the pilot if you like. Being strong for an equestrian is absolutely a fantastic athletic attribute. In future episodes I'll take a look at specific strengths and stabilities that help riders perform. Next episode I'm going to get into flexibility and why specific types of mobility could not be more important for equestrian athletes to perform. Thanks so much for joining me today. Until next time, happy riding.